Greetings and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McCoy, I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi Andrew. Hello. How are you doing? Getting old. How are you doing? Um, I'm getting old as well. That's the, that's the funny thing with chronology, that it does tend to go in that direction, unfortunately. Um, okay, well, I, I feel like I'm getting older more quickly than I have been um, up until this point, but... Uh... Um, maybe some of that is, is sort of inspired by the um, um, the sheer volume of well-known people that appear to be dying. And I, I'm not necessarily certain if that's due to the fact that there are just more famous people dying that we're aware of because of our age. Or um, maybe it's just that, that there's this like this um, this growth of people who became very, very famous uh, in the entertainment industry who've reached a certain age who are starting to uh, to die off. But since we last, we, we were meant to record this a couple of weeks ago, dear listener. Um, and in that time, we have lost Tina Turner, Chaz Newby and Rolf Harris, all with um, rather prominent Beatles uh, connections. Um, so although I did write down for Tina Turner um, that the main connection was the Phil Spector thing. I know there's the the come together cover that we'll talk about obviously in about three years time, um, but you know it's interesting listening to the stories about how um, Phil Spector basically wanted to work with her and not Ike, and it was a case of get out Ike. Um, tell you what, um, I'll put your name on the record, but I'm not putting you on the record, um, which is quite interesting. So clearly, one abuser recognised another. Yes, yeah, yeah, like recognises like. Yeah. Speaking of which, of course, you know, Rolf Harris apparently was really, really horrible to, uh, um, uh, or didn't like the Beatles mucking around in, a, a, I think, a London Palladium show. I think that story came from the Craig Brown book. It's, it's worth digging that one out again, because um, it shows quite nicely at that stage um, what a slightly self-centred person he could be. But of course, Chaz Newby is slightly different, because he didn't give up his um, the life that he wanted when he could have gone uh, to the Beatles with the Beatles to Hamburg in what was it 1960 so yeah, I did stay behind and go to university and do you know what good on him hope he lived a, a really good life as a result and you sort of think that that um you know it's a shame obviously for Pete Best that he has obviously been scarred by what happened but I don't think Chaz Newby was from from what I could tell he sort of you know almost celebrated the the, the, the role that he played but wasn't wasn't exactly bitter about um, the role he could have had. No, which is a nice change. It's, it makes that makes a makes a pleasant change to have somebody who's just comfortable with their place in history rather than sort of mourning what could have been. So uh, yeah, no. By by all reports, he seems to have been a decent guy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's our um, in memoriam section. Um, yeah, I, I I really can't work out whether it is just the explosion of. Um, of showbiz in the the fifties and the sixties that means that we've got these people in their you know seventies and eighties and I suppose nineties as well who are um, shuffling off this mortal coil. But it does seem to be developing pace and and even you know actually I think personally the the one that I would say affected if that's the right word uh, me the most is um, was Andy Rourke, uh, basis of the Smiths, who was fifty nine. And it sort of follows on um, from one or two others. Obviously, Terry Hall, who died, you know, um, this year and a couple of years ago, Mark Hollis, um, the genius that is Mark Hollis of, of Talk Talk, 
um, and you suddenly want actually, okay, well, these are people from the generation that we were watching when we were growing up and, and developing our love of music in the very late seventies and then in the early to mid eighties as well. And, and suddenly that sense of mortality uh, starts to creep in. There you go. Yep, Cheerful start to the yeah. show, folks. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Rock, was a, Rock was a difficult one because, yeah, I mean, even Morrissey managed to say something nice about him passing away. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> that alone is a major achievement. Although, yeah. as always, as we always must say, fuck cancer. Um, but, yeah, it, it's 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 one of those things. But that does, that does start us off with a suitably melancholic air for a song which we are discussing today, which also manages to capture a, a rather downbeat sense. And that would be, um, I'll be back. Does it, does it though, in, in, in what way? I mean, lyrically, it doesn't really capture a melancholic sense. I think it, it wants to, but lyrically it is completely all over the place, as we'll, we'll touch on later. And, yeah. and you know, is, is there a sense of melancholy in, in, in the music itself? As our resident music would... expert, over to you. <laughs> expert. <laughs> Barely <laughs> even an amateur. Um, but yeah, I would say that there is. There's a lot of A minors, uh, slightly bluesy uh, E7s in there, F sharp minor, B minor. There's a lot of there's a lot of melancholy in the chords, but I think also just in that that weird time signature as well, uh, which is kind of six eight, I think, or three four in the beginning and then shifts to four four and then kind of um pulls back again to the the sort of six eight it that that weird little shift it's slightly i hesitate to use the word disconcerting but it it, it it's not just a straightforward kind of downbeat song like say uh i'm not down, i think i was gonna say things we said today it's not a downbeat song per se but it does have that kind of slightly uh, melancholic air hovering about it um, and the, the the shift in the key signatures definitely lends it that leaning hard also on those kind of minor and seventh chords so yeah I think there is something quite melancholy about the about the music um, I'm interested to have the discussion with you um, about maturity because this song is so often cited as as being uh a sign of, of of the maturity and the development of of the Beatles. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that's something that stands up to analysis? Uh, no, um, but um, we, <laughs> we we can we can discuss that. Oh, I, don't, I, don't I just want to. <laughs> I just want to make reference to to you know, something you're talking about because you're you're using, um, you know, terminology and 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 what I'm interested in is whether or not Lennon would have been aware of that when he was writing it. Because listening to, I've been listening again to the audio book of um, you know, the, the George Martin biography by, I'm going to say, Mr. Womack. I can't remember the first name off the top of my head. Anyway, it's very good. Um, apart from the fact that the person doing the audio book, I hope it's not Mr. Womack himself, is, is just an atrocious reader with awful intonation. I want <laughs> to hold your hand is an example I've referred to before. But he, he's, um, But in that book, it makes reference to the fact that uh, when they were doing the Hard Days Night, when George Martin was doing the Hard Days Night score, he was asking Lennon um, for about specific notes and chords that, that he'd used in certain songs. And he'd say, oh, yeah, is it this? And he'd go, no, no, it's not that. Oh, but it must be this. No, it's not that. And, and the basic point was, of course, that they didn't have the same level of musical knowledge, but what they did was that they knew what they liked. So would they have had... The, the knowledge to be able to 
to say, okay, right, well, this is a deliberate thing we're doing here, or are, are we ascribing it after the fact? I think in this case it is deliberate, yes. Um, particularly, I mean, Lenin himself has referred to this as being influenced by uh, Del Shannon's Runaway, um, and that song does yeah. have a... It's not exactly the same, but it, it does have a relatively similar tone to it. So if Lenin was intentionally trying to invoke that, then yeah, I would think in this case it's definitely something deliberate. He actually mentions that in the very last interview he gave, you know, the Playboy one in 1980. He, he mentions um, that this song is influenced by Runaway. And... Um, yeah, so in this case, he might not have been able to ascribe the technical names to it in terms of key shit, key time, uh, sorry, time signature changes and 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 all that kind of stuff. But I think in this case, yeah, I think it's definitely fair, based on what he has said, that he was intentionally trying to generate that effect. How much do you think that carries through to other parts of the song? Well, that's a question that we'll we'll get to. But um, but I think musically, the the attempt to have this more downbeat, more melancholic atmosphere around it is is intentional and something Lennon would have understood at the time. Okay, I mean it's it's definitely you know quite somber, isn't it in in terms of its feel? But somber is uh, a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I just sort of wonder if we we're almost putting too much pressure on on one individual song, and and there are lots of people who who you know Ian McDonald's one of them, who sort of you know ascribe some sort of um you know future significance uh to this as though it is absolutely the sign of things to come um and i i, I don't know i don't know I, I i wonder if if sometimes we we end up in this revisionist world where we're seeing things that perhaps aren't necessarily there i mean we are seeing in a very quick period of time some some incredible changes in their songwriting but when I think of maturity, and I'm not just talking about lyrically here, I'm, I'm also talking in terms of song construction. I'm thinking of things like Yesterday or, you know, In My Life. Um, you know, and I'd say that this feels closer to something like, you know, you've got to hide your love away, for example. It's, it's you know, in, in the sense that um, it's it's trying to go for something. Maybe, it maybe it's trying to go for something that's a little bit more mature, but still has that element almost of, of pastiche to it. Yeah, I think there is an element of that to it. I think one of the things that's most obvious is the tension between the music and the lyric, um, because I don't think the lyric is particularly sophisticated. I don't think it's bad, but I think it's on a par with the rest of the material on the album. <laughs> you know, if you break my heart, I'll go, but I'll come back again. I mean, it's pretty... It's pretty straightforward stuff, and I, I don't, I don't really mean that to sound pejorative, although I'm aware that it did. Um, but it's, it's, it's not a particularly advanced lyric. It's, it's a fairly standard story of, oh, my love has left me. Oh, but I hope you'll come back again. Blah blah blah. That, I mean, it's fine. It works well, um, especially given the sort of, I mean, weird structure of the song. But it's not anything revelatory and I, I have a lot of sympathy with the idea that we can be very ahistorical about the way that we look of these because it's so hard to interpret things as they would have been but it is it's you know it's the mind game that you have to play if you were in 1964 and you listen to this you have no knowledge of you know you've got to hide your love away or or whatever is going to come after i I think of this song as being the father of No Reply. I think No Reply is kind of a tidied up version of this song. Um, they're very similar in atmosphere, very similar in structure, and, and very similar in lyrical content, but but No Reply is a little bit um, tighter. It's a little bit more disciplined as a song. But 
you wouldn't know that listening to this when you got to the end of the album in 1964. So would you listen to this and think, oh, this certainly signifies a whole new direction that the band could go in? Or would you think, oh, that was a weirdly downbeat end beat to what was otherwise a fairly chipper album? And, and that's, that's kind of how you have to look at it. Those thought experiments aren't often easy to do, though, because there's simply so much knowledge around the Beatles. How do you how do you put yourself back in that position where you think, oh, well, actually, I, I've never heard help at the album. I've never heard, you know, uh, Beatles for sale or whatever. It, it, it's it's almost impossible to do. But I think looking at this song, it is one where you need to kind of have that discipline. Was this really pointing to the future in 1964 more than any of the other songs on the album? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd agree. I'd agree. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I, I think it has been given slightly undue prominence, I think possibly because of where it's positioned on the album. Because obviously it was it was George Martin's intention to um, end with, with something really upbeat on, on albums. That's something he'd, um, he'd spoken about in terms of the, the sequencing of the songs, that you kind of hide some of your um you know less strong material near the end and then you go out with something that's incredibly strong as we can see that they did on the first two albums whereas here it's something completely different that's partly because of the the fact that all the songs from the film are on side one so then he's working with with what's left um but it is it is a change in that respect and and actually what i find interesting about this song is that there are bits of it that I really like and there are bits of it that just don't work for me. And this is without talking about the lyrics and, you know, um, well, we'll talk about the lyrics. We'll, we'll get on to the lyrics. And and I, I've divided it up quite neatly in the bits where there are harmonies, the sections that start with you, effectively the verse, I like. I think that really works. You've, you've got that, that really sort of, um, you know, effective rhythm guitar going on in the background. You've got, actually quite sophisticated mature um, um harmonies going on but then when you then move into i don't even know what to call the the other verses the ones that start with i and, and then when you start leaping around with the melody it, it just doesn't work for me you know it feels like this is a song in desperate need of 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 a bridge and and that perhaps you know with a little bit more time or with a little bit more intention in the studio without the impending tours and you know Ringo's underlying illness that that perhaps they might have had a bit more time to have worked something out and to have made it more effective so i think you know as far as the verses go i really like i mean apart from the lyrics <laughs> the way the verse goes <laughs> i really like it um I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be mean on the lyrics by the way but i think it's the perfect example of things that i've spoken about in previous episodes but here for me you know you know if you break my heart i'll go that bit i really like i like that melody but then we go to i love you son i think oh john here we go again okay please oh look we're going to get an oh 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 to take us back to the verse are we john okay right you're trying a bit too hard just a bit too hard yeah, I, I think that, that weird structure of it probably is related to how quickly this was written and recorded. Uh, and again, that's why I, I tend to think of this song as being the father of No Reply, which which pulls similar tricks to, to greater effect, I would I would argue. But the 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 weird jumps, I don't know. They, I understand why people like them, but I also find it a little bit... I'm a little bit with you. I find it a little bit hard to get on board with them. That they're... 
they're not bad. I think I think the shift in time signature is 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 really effective. And again, just great but understated work from Ringo there, just keeping everything nailed down, keeping everything together on a track where he's really not prominent at all. Um, and if you listen to either of the versions on anthology, there's there's a breakdown and there's there's a, a more straightforward, complete take on it. And 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 both of those, they don't quite come up to the quality of the one which ended up in the album so it's there's definitely a sense where they they got it right and and and, and Ringo is a, a really important part of that but it's not I don't know it, it it's a bit of a almost an affectation in a way to try and give the song somewhere to go when it doesn't really have anywhere to go is that too harsh do you do you sometimes feel as though people are a bit too keen to ascribe genius status to John Lennon when at this stage in his career, he was um, a good and sometimes great songwriter and a good, but not necessarily a great vocalist. And that actually, as he got better as a songwriter, and perhaps you could argue that he understood more about what his voice could do, he wrote songs that allowed him to express himself less through his nose and more through his, his emotion. But I, I just sort of sometimes wonder if we, we, we try too hard because, you know, He's the one that isn't with it. I know George, etc. But because he he died so young, um, and terribly, terribly missed, that that everything then accrues much greater significance than it actually had. And it's it's yes, it's fine. Is, it's is the answer to it, that question. But it it also it's also depends if you're grading on a curve because as as we mentioned in, in a lot of episodes now, you know they're much better than anybody else yeah you know their their worst songs are most people's best songs but at the same time the fact that they're the best of what's going on at that point doesn't necessarily mean that it's yeah. the best of all time so it depends it depends if you're grading on a curve or not i suppose and you know that i mean we've come across some truly outstanding material but we've come across some real duds as well that's of course the nature yeah. of, of doing this and I think it's okay to to be honest and admit where uh, you know even where we have these people who we we admire and love and all the rest of it. Sometimes they're they're going to come up short, and not every single song can be. Oh well, it's the work of a tortured genius cut short in his prime, etc., etc. You know, um, and it's not just Lennon that's true for. You know, you could make the same argument about Kurt Cobain or whoever you want. You know, Ian Curtis, pick your dead star. Um, but it's it's. I understand why it's hard to resist that temptation, but I think if we're going to have any degree of critical honesty, and that's not something that this podcast uh, aspires to, but if we are, then that temptation is one that needs to be resisted. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, are you looking for some sort of furious debate? Because I'm, I'm broadly in agreement there. No, no, um, feel, feel free to move on to something else. You know, it's, it, yeah scarcity i think does help doesn't it if, if, if someone yes, is no longer with us they're, they're not producing and therefore but um yeah so okay right at, at that point we'll, we'll never get john lennon's traveling wilburys yeah i may have said some 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 relatively disingenuous things about elo on twitter last night whilst watching um top of the pops on on bbc4 which obviously has the traveling wilburys connection because I, I never got yes. I never got ELO. I, I I never got them. I don't like ELO either. I, I've never liked ELO and I do not understand what the fuss is. No, and um 
And I think the, the, the tweet that I actually regretted, and I'm, I'm not going to delete it because that'd be pointless, was that uh, I think I put something along the lines, well, it doesn't really matter because there's only about, you know, two rabbits and a, and a cat that follow me on Twitter anyway. Um, it was something along the lines of, you know, that I've narrowed it down. I've worked out what it is that I don't like about them. I've narrowed it down to the look and the music, um, you know, <laughs> which I think is probably a fair enough thing to go for. But there's the there's yeah. a, a lot of the... the um, um, the you know the rock orchestration that just sort of reminds me of um, uh, for some reason I, I you know Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds I can't get Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds and Jeff Lynne's ELO um, divorced in my brain but it seems like to be they're that both same. they're both trying too hard yeah and the, and the falsetto voice and and yeah there's it yeah hey look it it works for millions of people and they had great fun at Glastonbury and. Um, a few years ago and the the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and yay, all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, they bring joy and pleasure, but this is the, the nature of music is there would have been someone at the start going, how did you crowbar in Andy Rourke? Cool, Smiths. Oh God, they're so... Okay, fine. You don't like it? I do. Let, let me have my things. I'll let you have yours. Perhaps as long Just as let people like. enjoy things. Exactly. Um, unless, of course... It's something to do with Roger Waters, but um, less said about him, the better at the moment. A, A, A. Yes. Let's just draw or ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry, Pink okay, Floyd fans. Well, one, in, one in three episodes have something about um, uh, about his lyrics on it. So um, you know. Anyway, speaking of lyrics, oh, good. <laughs> um, right. So th- this this is, I think, almost the peak example of a song where. The, the actual words and the meaning of the words don't matter more than the fact that certain key words are used and that sets the tone. So we've got break my heart, go, goodbye, come back, um, you know, want you. And, and you've got all of those sort of words in that, that basically show you without you having to listen to every single word that it's, it's someone who's, who's sad that there's that that somber feeling um but actually when you look at them you realize that that it is an example of a song that makes no sense it's just using words that are there to provoke an emotion um so i've summarized um the the lyrics um and and perhaps um dear listener if you've um you know, quickly press pause and then google uh, the lyrics have them up on your, your screen as you're listening and we'll see how you've done, uh, see how I've done rather. So um, basically, here we go. Uh, I'll leave you if you dump me, but I won't leave because I've left before and come back. Oh God, please don't do this to me because I really need this. I beg you not to break my heart. I promise you I'm not pathetic, even though I am. I'm just talking crap now and it makes no sense. It's just a means of me getting back to the verse oh, 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 oh. Please don't break my heart. I'm not pathetic, even though I am. Um, should I stay or should I go? Oh, 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 oh. If you're mean to me, I'll go, but I'll come back because that's just what I do. Yeah, I think that pretty much summarises it. It makes no sense. No, no, but it doesn't not have to. Lot. No, but it's it's they're, they're evocative. That's the whole thing. They they manage to evoke a feeling without needing to make any kind of literal sense, and there's no yeah. there's no narrative through line to it either. No. No, because it's it's so wildly inconsistent. Um, but it doesn't matter. You know, there's that whole thing about how too much meaning 
can be given to these things. And and even then, you know, when we go forward and we'll look at songs like You've Got to Hide Your Love Away or Nowhere Man, and in the end, you'll just sort of realise that they don't mean anything. You know, it's just someone trying to sound like it means something, but underneath all of it, it doesn't actually mean anything. And that's fine. That really is fine, as long as you enjoy listening to it. No, I've yeah. got nothing more on I, that. Well, I mean, the ultimate, expre- <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate expression of that is likely to come when we get to I Am The Walrus, but that's going to be a whole That's going to be a whole discussion in and of itself. No, I don't um, know. We've, we've got this whole um, Dylan pastiche phase to come. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got plenty of material to work with when it comes to this. Yeah. Yeah, um, and you know, and so what, and so what. Actually, interestingly, on on the um, um, the Womack um, biography, it, it, the points put across about this song that Lennon didn't actually know how it was end, and and I like this as well. Um, apparently, according to um, George Martin in this biography, um, the story goes that the band would know how it was ending when Lennon said because he would just sing oh oh eight times. Which, which sort of figures that they would do that kind yeah, of thing. It also explains that very abrupt fade. Well, it, actually, the, the fade is quite interesting, again, because it is, it's quite, you know, it's quite gentle, it's quite evocative, it's, it's you know, again, different from the previous album, so, again, therefore, it, it you know, we're, we're looking for that deeper meaning. Um, but it is, you know, a different thing to do, when in reality they probably just couldn't find... A proper way to completely finish the song yeah which is fine you know happenstance and 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 the appropriate ending are 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 happy to hold hand in hand um the akbar could have found a better way of saying that you know what i'm trying to say uh, the happenstance was... of it works out it's a serendipitous thing that's there we go that's a more tidy way of saying it um but yeah it still it still works effectively um, I'm interested to hear what you think about lennon's vocals in this given that you tend to be quite critical of of lennon's voice Oh, I, I, I'm just going to refer you back to my earlier remarks that in that, in that verse and anything that starts with you, um, I think works. But the the way it's just him singing, um, and and I think it's primarily because of the the leaps he has to make and also the oh uh, uh, it just kind of jars with me slightly. Um, I, I but I I have a a little bit That's of a, an issue as we may have discovered with some early Lennon. Um, singing attempts when that are just just trying a bit too hard, just reaching a bit too hard. Um, but you know, one half of it, I think, really effective. One half of it, yeah, John, let's have another go. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't have I don't have much to contribute on the question. I managed to ask myself, so I, I think it's sufficient. I don't know that I would go much further than that. I know that in the anthology version, he um, the breakdown version, he complains that he's written something which is too difficult for he, him himself to sing. Um, although he does eventually manage it, but that that in and of itself may tell a story. Have you um um normally one of us uh, at least does this? I've got a funny feeling that neither has this time. Cover versions? Have you had a look? No, no, I haven't. I haven't scraped up against any cover versions this this episode. I'm afraid. Ooh, okay, should we do it live on air then? Oh, go for it. Go on, listener. You you may hear me typing away in the background. Um, I'll say that so that that JG doesn't have to furiously edit it out and um and remind me. Uh, I'll find okay. some. I'll find some way of editing round stuff. Oh no, no, leave it in. Leave it in. It's um. Um, all the better for it. So well, it's it's runtime in a short episode. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, dear, dear. Oh, there's another Barbara Dixon. Did Barbara Dixon do a Beatles cover album by any chance? Yeah, she did, yeah. All right, okay. Fair enough. Um, UB40? Blimey. Okay. Something worth investigating there. Um, no, there's nothing much that's that's sticking out there. Just uh, uh, quite a few tribute artists. Sean Colvin. Okay. Um yeah, I'm quite intrigued by what Dwight Twilly sounds like, but I suspect <laughs> I probably know. There is apparently yeah, a cliff... Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and guess. Yeah. <laughs> and there is, in April 67, a um, Cliff Richard version. At some point, I'll dip into those. Uh, I'll look forward to your um, analysis. Yeah, there won't be analysis. There may be chocolate. <laughs> well, I'll look forward to you slagging them off then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the usual, um, it's the usual set, really, isn't it? Yeah, lots of Beatle tributes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be surprised if that section remains in the podcast, to be honest. Well, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see where we go once I've done some judicious trimming. Nothing uh, wrong with the type right. 20. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see. Um, anything else to add? Oh, um... Well, no. I mean, the only thing I'm really thinking, <laughs> of perhaps the things that we'll cover when we talk about the album, because, you know, obviously we've got, um, this is part of the group of songs that was recorded right at the end, so in early June. So there are different phases to the album's recording. It's a, it's one of those songs that's quickly put together in order to get a 13, 14-track album. Um, and, and so, you know, considering... That there's there's a different feel perhaps to some of these songs, um, as there is to the the songs that appear on on side one, um, and and I think there's there's I think there's something in that, but um, I suspect that's something that we will come back to on another day. There you go, training I, I, for you, listener. Thank you very much. I really appreciate all your uh, your good work and and and. Uh all the setups that are going on here but let's let's kill this one before it kills us so uh what do you want to give it six fair enough um <laughs> <laughs> i seem to be saying that a lot this episode um uh, uh, bugger it i'll give it six as well uh yeah fine i don't have uh i don't have strong arguments other than what we've already said yeah six is fine i guess right lovely good well um just before we get on to our next episode announcement, you can, as always, really get a hold of us. Uh, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlestuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scott, uh, where I write about uh, films and TV and pop culture stuff. Now, with actual content. Um, please also check out Andrew's writing at www.stuffology.co.uk. Also, please check out my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please like, rate, and review this podcast or whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find it. Next week, we are going to be doing double shift. So we are not only going to be talking about the album as a complete set, but we are also going to be talking about the movie as well. So uh, hopefully you will join us for some movie talk and for some album talk. But until then, keep listening.